anyone who speaks a language, you know, natively, they take it for granted. You know, we don't we don't sit and think about our own language. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast about learning languages and reaching your potential. Hello, my name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk and here on the show we talk about languages. We talk about communication, curiosity and enriching our lives through the challenge of learning something new. Ooh, and what a challenge it always is. And today I am bringing you two guests who have taken on the challenge, who are living their target languages in really fascinating ways. Both of them are learning Indian languages, so we're also going to see if we can. Can we? Is it ever possible to get even a snapshot of India? That's right, we're heading to Southeast Asia with Jess Kumar and with Eliza Keaton today. Now, before I tell you a little bit more about that interview, I want to let you know that, first of all, currently applications are open and you are encouraged to apply and join and check out my Fluent Language Mastermind. The Fluent Language Mastermind is for you if you are interested in relaxed and reliable fluency. You want to achieve higher levels in your language, but you don't just want to achieve a high level and then let it go, you really here for life, not just for the next three or four months. And that is the group of people that we have got together. It's a language coaching group program absolutely great and you get access to all of my courses included in that as well so this is really going to help you with your language learning strategies and mindset you will be supported throughout it's a six-month program and it is only open at specific parts of the year so it's open right now i would love for you to check it out at fluentlanguage.co.uk slash mastermind and you can always message me on instagram at kirsten underscore fluent or you can message me by sending me an email <laughs> kirsten k-e-r-s-t-i-n at fluentlanguage.co.uk if you want to find out more this episode is also sponsored yes our sponsor is back another year and i've been using it i've been using it for my little secondary it's sort of becoming my sort of guilty pleasure let's not tell people about this language <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just told you on the Fluent Show, my lovely listener. It is Clothesmaster, and I've been using it for Mandarin Chinese again. Now, if you've never heard of Clothesmaster, it is a gamified language learning app where you will see a sentence in your target language with something missing, and it's your challenge to fill in the blanks correctly. And in fact, there's a new listening mode that I've been using quite a lot um, because in Mandarin, I never really focused on learning all the characters. But the listening mode trains you through text-to-speech audio. So it's not no longer just a reading and vocab expansion app. You can also use it to practice your listening. Brilliant. And best of all, Clothesmaster is totally free to try out for all of you. And there's no trial period, so you really can have a good browse through it. It is available in over 50 languages, 5.0, and it works on iOS, Android, and directly in your browser. To support The Fluent Show today, go to www.clozemaster.com slash Fluent Show, where you will find a bonus video with Clothesmaster tips from me and a special voucher for lifetime 10% off. Whoop, whoop, 
lifetime 10% off when you try out Closemaster's awesome pro membership. The pro membership unlocks more features for you and it also helps you support this independent language learning app. So all of that, that's at Closemaster, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R dot com slash fluent show and you don't need a special code, simply go there and you will learn more today and you can watch my video. Now, before we go into the interview, let me give you a little preview. Um, my American-born guests, Jess Kumar and Eliza Keaton, who is better known as Elikuti, share their stories of falling in love with India in this episode. Well, some of India. Uh, one of them, it's been Bihar. One of them, it's been Kerala. K Kerala? I, I cannot pronounce things authentically at all in, in, from that part of the world. We're going to talk about how Jessica and Eliza were traveling the world way before they fell in love with their husbands and sort of talk a little bit about the independence and being an independent woman, especially when the family traditions in India mean perhaps something else for you and why one person's experience can never show you everything that India has got to offer. So we're talking about India, we're talking about language learning as well and how learning a language can change your experience and the super tip, the Jess summed it up in, in one of the best summaries I've ever heard. So we talk about what you need to know and what you need to really think about when learning languages with native speakers. And ultimately, both of them are content creators. So we also talked about sharing their experiences by podcast and Instagram. That's what you have got to look forward to in the next interview, which is coming up right now. So let's just head there. And here I am with my two guests, Jessica and Eliza. And I'm going to start off by introducing both of you with your respective bios. So in this interview, I've got two guests, which is always such a delight. And I'm hoping that what we're going to do is get more perspectives on this really fascinating topic of learning languages of India when you're not from India. <laughs> Everybody's with me. So my first guest is Jessica Kumar. Jessica is an economic development advocate and she lives in Bihar in India. And she's also a podcast host. She started Invisible India to highlight cross-cultural relationships between Westerners and Indians. And uh, she and her husband host the show together. Her husband's name is Abhishek. Hey, Jessica. Hey, Kristen. I'm so glad to be on the show. Thank you. Big fan. No problem. Thank you for joining me from today, from Chicago, which is, I believe, six hours behind me. And my next guest is coming to us from uh, five, six hours ahead of me. So we've never had this much time on stretch. This is Eliza Keaton. Eliza, who is an English teacher currently residing in Vietnam. She's worked in Korea, in the UAE. She's worked in the States and she has been involved in the ESL community, so she's an English teacher, the ESL community since the age of 21, where she began as a supplementary teacher in the Korean countryside. Eliza's also dabbled in Spanish, Japanese, Korean, Arabic, Vietnamese, and is known to lots of people on the internet as a learner of Malayalam, which is a language of India. Hey, Eliza! Hey there, good evening. Hey, thank you so much for joining us from Vietnam under a duvet, under a blanket. <laughs> yes, it's quite cozy, actually. I'm not complaining. <laughs> so 
something that both of you have in common, or you've got lots of surface stuff in common, which is you're American women married to Indian men. And I thought we'll start with some like meet cutes, like a rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, how did you meet your husband? Well, actually, I was living in India for about four years before I met Abhishek. And I was living in a small city named Haridwar, which is in northern India, about five hours north of Delhi. And um, I was doing an internship there in IT. So I learned Hindi at that time. And uh, I was doing some volunteer work when I was going back and forth to Chicago uh, with like uh, recent um, immigrants, but mostly a lot of refugees. And he was living in the States, but wanted to do some volunteer work as well. And we got connected through a friend. So actually I was living in India and he was living in the United States. So we were kind of did a flip-flop, but we met when I went back to the States for a visit. And uh, yeah, long story short, but our, our parents, you know, at that time, you know, I was early twenties and it was like, my parents were kind of a big, you know, part of my life. And so my parents got to know him and I got to know his side of the family and then everything worked out and we were able to, make it work and get married. And that was 12, almost 12 years ago. Wow. And still <laughs> going strong. <laughs> mm -hmm. Two kids later. Hopefully you won't hear them on the show at all. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we, we sort of jumped right into the middle of your story then. So you were already living in India. What was your daily life like back then? Mm, yeah. Well, as far as language aspects, I would get up in the morning. I would have my chai, of course. And my language helper, I did like an immersion course during that time. So my language nurturer and language helper would come over at around 8.30. You know, we'd try to beat the heat so she wouldn't have to travel in the middle of the day. And we would do different conversational projects together. And then um, she would leave. I would have lunch. I would then go to the office and for my internship, I would ride, I'd ride my bicycle around. I looked like a fool. Uh, because women in India, in this, especially if you're like a middle class woman or above, you do not ride a bicycle. But I did anyway, because I just liked it. <laughs> you walk or you take a scooter or you drive. So or you take public transit, you do not bicycle. <laughs> but I bicycled. And then I would do my internship. And then in the evenings, I would be doing, you know, language practice and studying and things like that. So it was it was a It was a different time of life for sure. I had a lot of time to devote to studying language full time and uh, focusing on Hindi, and it was a it, it was a perfect time for me to be able to dive in and learn. And I know not everyone has that luxury. Yeah, this you mentioned you mentioned the language nurturer. Then I will come back and ask you a lot more about that because I'm already so curious. Mm, sure, um, but. Yeah, let's do a rom-com scene change then and head to, <laughs> where are we even heading to, Eliza? We're heading to the Middle East. We're heading to the UAE. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> so I spent five years in the UAE working at an Emirati school. And despite being an Arab nation, 50% of the population of the UAE is actually from the Indian continent. So you have Pakistanis, Sri Lankans, Indians, and so forth. Mm -hmm. So... You know, our story seems like pretty cut and dry. We met on a dating app because in Dubai, it's really hard to meet people. And, uh, you know, you work hard and, you know, you have 
you know, everyone has their little pockets where they gather. So it, it can be really hard to meet new people or people who want like a long-term relationship because the Middle East can be kind of a revolving door. People come in for a year or two to make money and then and, and go. So Arjun and I met on a dating app, but we didn't actually get to meet face to face right away because we were just finishing the school year and I was doing an eight week trip to backpack across Australia and New Zealand. And so basically it was like, hey, we didn't get to meet. If you're still interested when I get back, we can meet up, but whatever, no pressure. And then the entire two months that I'm traveling, we are sending each other voice notes every day. We Skyped on my birthday. Like we shared stories when the time difference got too much. We just would send each other like one long voice note each day. So we would hear it when the other person would wake up. And the first time we actually met face to face was at Dubai airport when I flew 20 hours back from New Zealand and he picked me up to take me home. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so and sweet. I literally said, I literally said, if you like me now, it's only going to get better. <laughs> like if you can fall in love with someone after a 22 hour trip, eight weeks backpacking across the outback, then, you know, <laughs> you're not like, you're not like they're moisturizing on the airplane. Doing <laughs> no. your makeup. I literally, ha- I literally had a friend message me and say, you're insane. This is a bad idea. <laughs> like, don't do this. I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm I'm almost 30. I don't have time to play games anymore. Like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And yes, and uh, he basically was really open with his parents right away. Like, hey, I'm seeing this girl. Hey, she's American, blah, blah, blah. Uh, After about four months, that was um, the first time I went to see his part of India, Kerala, and meeting the family and all that. And then, yeah, we got married a year later uh, after meeting. So... Uh, we've now been married. Uh, we just passed our third anniversary, so still, still new in the game, but we're we're having an adventure, that's for sure. Yeah, something that something that I'm noticing like already is both of you, you know, deciding to cycle like nobody else cycles, but this is my thing. <laughs> yes. Deciding to backpack around Australia, like there's a lot of you know, you're independent women with your own sort of ways of doing things, mm. and I'm wondering how. How does that fit into not just like gender roles or whatever, but like how does that fit into the dating scene of where your husbands are from? Mm, great question. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Such a we good could, question. We could talk about this for a long time. But <laughs> I would say, you know, I live in Bihar, where my husband is from. Right now I'm in Chicago, but we spend I spend an inordinate amount of time scheming and thinking of ways that I can do things by myself or have independence. And I would honestly, I'm being very open with that. Um, the way that my life looks to people in India, the people in my community and the way that my life actually is looks different to them. So the way that I, um, that we, I don't want to say, and this is what everybody does. There's an inside outside type of, I don't want to say facade, but like, because everybody knows it's there. There's a way you show your life to the public in India. And then there's a way that things are behind closed doors. Everybody does it. Everybody knows it exists. But that is just how it is. It's saving face, right? It's the shame, honor culture. So you do everything you can to honor your family. And so inside my house, I'm wearing a tank top and shorts when it's 115 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, 42 degrees Celsius. 
And when I'm out on the street, I'm wearing the long dupatta and the kurta pajama and I'm wearing a bindi and I have my hair, you know, tied back nicely and because it reflects on our family and reflects on the values of my husband's family. And for me to assert my independence in a public way and be going around the community and wearing whatever I want or um, doing crazy stuff like whatever I want, it it hurts the reputation of the family in that community. So for me, I don't care. I mean, I don't feel oppressed. Like, oh, my in-laws are making me do. They're not making me do anything. They didn't make me move to India. They, I chose to do that. So, but I know that, you know, the way that we, we behave and even our relationship, you know, the things that we do in our house, like Abhishek, that helps out a lot more than probably more Indian men do. He carries a lot more of a load uh, as far as domestic responsibilities but we don't always necessarily show that to the community and to the public. So um, I, you know, this is definitely a struggle living in a more conservative part of India. If I were to live in Delhi, Bangalore, uh, Mumbai, this would not really be as much of an issue. I would have no issues going and, you know, catching a train somewhere, catching a flight somewhere on my own. But in Bihar, I have to think twice, you know, what will people say? What will people think? Not because I actually care, but because, um, you know, it's just the way the community works. My husband's family cares and I have to just be a little careful about the way I present myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've just mentioned, so I think just for podcast listeners who might not be so familiar with India, you've mentioned Bangalore, Delhi, um, and then Bihar as a as a contrast to that. Mm. And what I know about India, I sort of know, you know, the main cities. So I forgot Mumbai. Shout out to Mumbai. We'll never forget again. <laughs> <laughs> but um th- those kind of bigger more cosmopolitan places exist and then there's a strong contrast between that and and where you live yeah definitely definitely so mm-hmm. i think i think that's the thing about india this isn't and then I, this is one of the things i know we'll probably that this some of the shades of color will come out as we talk because eliza and i both have experiences in very different parts of india with extremely different languages so malayalam and hindi have mm. almost nothing in common <laughs> i mean you would not when we you speak malayalam and when you speak hindi if 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 neither the people you would not be able to understand even hardly anything um there's hardly any overlap when it comes to how the languages are spoken today and so it's really incredible that how diverse India is and how the uh, just the incredible amount of <laughs> just differences you can find within one country. And I think it's interesting that we talk about the differences, because as you said, on the surface, Jessica and I seem like we have a very similar story, but our dynamics with our family are very different. Our experiences with language are very different. And, you know, it's really tempting to jump on like, you know, the story and what it is, but, you know, Jessica's story doesn't necessarily reflect my own and mine doesn't necessarily reflect another, even, you know, Malayali couple, you know, so it's, it's, it is kind of interesting how things are so diverse, even if you travel 10, 20 kilometers, you know, it's, it, it just, it's just fascinating and, and the dynamics can change so quickly and shift so quickly, not just through geographics, but also through uh, community and caste and things like that. And it's, it's extremely diverse. Uh, Eliza, we've, we've heard from 
Jess, Jessica, who says, that, you know, who's, who's telling a story and describing her experience as a woman living in India, living in the community. Mm-hmm. Now, for you, you you're a ha- sort of half in the community. I would I would assume. Does it feel very different? Because you you don't live in India currently, and I believe you have never lived in India. Absolutely. Uh, so I've traveled to a few parts in India, and the longest I've stayed in Kerala is about three weeks. So I definitely do not have that same kind of expectation that maybe Jessica has felt to, you know, blend into the community and make sure that she's representing her family well. Um, But also I do have this incredible social media presence. So, you know, which is a little bit easier to maintain, right? Because you can curate that version of yourself online. Um, But I, I did notice, you know, when I went to Kerala, you know, I would have to change the way that I dressed. I would need to be careful about the things that I did. And even though I was solo traveling in many parts, like it wasn't like I was completely alone. I always had a friend or a connection or someone there looking after me. And it was definitely, you know, if I didn't have a driver for the day, my father-in-law would arrange for one because he would want to to know exactly where I'm going. And, you know, growing up in the States, it's like, oh, I can do my own thing. I can do this all by myself. And it's like, it's not that it's a controlling or oppressive thing. It's it's genuine care. Like my father-in-law wants me to be safe and comfortable. And, um, you know, some things about this relationship have been kind of not a compromise, but just definitely a shifting of the way I see things. Like I'm still very strongly independent. Three, three months after we got married, I went on a solo trip across Jordan, you know, that because that's important to me. But also I've learned to be more open to the type of, of mm, displays of affection um, that are more common in an Indian family, things that maybe some Americans find as getting into your business or talking too much about you or asking too many questions. I've had to learn to Great step point. back and really shape my perceptions. Of, no, they they want to know about me because they're worried for me or they want to know about something or, you know, I might say something and they'll remember it later when they want to help me with something. And I'm sure Jessica knows exactly yes. what I'm talking Such about. Such a with, great point. Yeah. With, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thankfully, Arjun, he, he is a really great mediator. I'm really thankful to have a husband that can really explain my perspective and, and be that kind of buffer between uh, me and the rest of the family or cultural expectations. And um, it it really prevents any like really dramatic meltdowns from happening because if I'm in the wrong, you know, he'll be able to communicate why or if his parents maybe stepped a little too over the line, he can tell them and I don't have to lose face in front of them. Like I've never had an out and out like, you know, argument with his parents it's always I've always had a mediator and it's always been a way to kind of maintain positive relations with his family but it is a learning experience it absolutely is and it takes a lot of grace and humility and sometimes it can be very very hard to just swallow your pride and be like okay you know it's you don't have to be like this all the time you don't have to be right all the time um so it's 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 day by day kind of thing yeah yeah Gosh, he sounds as a as somebody who takes her English husband to her German family sometimes, and you'd think like we're all on the same continent, all Europeans are the same, but the the, the cultural bridges I've had to bridge sometimes, yeah, <laughs> kind of, you know, the expectations you you kind of explain like about the differences and um, it, that mediating skill sounds 
divine if he does classes please sign me up because that sounds amazing <laughs> I, I, have now, to, I have to say the one time I actually got shouted at by my husband was um, <laughs> he had a cousin that uh, lives in Bangalore and his cousin messaged me directly to say like oh I heard you're visiting Bangalore you should come and see me and I was like yeah sure um you know, if I find the time, I'll be able to swing by. And Arjun's like, you told him what? <laughs> like, mm. like, that's my cousin. You don't just make time, see if you can find time. You make time for the cousin. Like, you know? <laughs> so I go from the American expectations of, oh, yeah, if you're in town, swing by. Like, no, <laughs> this is your obligation to my family. Yes, you turn up in your Sunday best, Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> and you bring gifts. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so things like that, big learning moments. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is brilliant. Okay, so I have I have a question for both of you. I would love for both of you because Jessica already mentioned like learn, you know, the differences between Hindi and Malayalam, and then we've got the differences between Bihar and Kerala. Kerala. Mm-hmm. Kerala. I'll yeah. just mess up the pronunciation. Um, and I would love for both of you, um, Eliza, maybe if you could start to describe your India to me like what is your India what does it feel like what what do you experience where do you think of when you think India oh my goodness so like first of all India is really diverse and I think I've seen about 15% of it Um, so there's just so much that I haven't seen or experienced myself and you know when people think of India as a single country it's like no think of it more like the EU because like every area has its own you know, language, culture, food. And so to me, India, you know, it's, I don't know, it's its just so diverse and it's so ancient. And there are so many pockets of history and civilization and culture. And it's like, I remember one time I was backpacking and someone said to me, India can be this big emotional like wave where in the same day you go from, wow, this is the pinnacle of like history and and culture and society, how incredible. And what the heck is happening right now? You know, so it's like this big, like, am I actually saying this? Like, like what's going on uh, kind of a thing. And it can be very startling. It can be amazing and beautiful and pristine. And then it can also be just like, like confounding um, some things. Like, I don't think I've ever been in a place where I experienced so many Um, culture shocks in a short amount of time Um, because there's things that you think you expect and there's things that you don't expect in both positive and negative directions and it's one of those things where it's there's no really single idea or definition that can be what India is because there's just so much to it and you can live there for years and I'm sure Jessica can agree and not really still comprehend you know all of what is India. For you it's almost it's the the multitudes of India are what makes up India. Yeah, it's layers, layers and layers and layers. Jess, what about you? 100% agree. India is an assault on the senses in all ways. And, and that could be, I don't <laughs> want to say an assault, it, an overwhelm, overwhelmption? That's not a word. <laughs> it could be... <laughs> overwhelming the senses in every way. And one thing that is said about India, and I cannot agree more, is India, the only thing you can say that's true about India everywhere is diversity, diversity, diversity. So you Mm -hmm. say one thing about India, the opposite is also true. Mm -hmm. If you say, you know, India, it, it, it is 
everything to everyone. I mean, it is it is so mm-hmm. incredibly. Uh, India is very crowded. Okay, well, India also has places that are incredibly uh, bare remote. and they're remote. India, uh, you know, has has very. I mean, just you know, has very spicy food. Well, India also has, you know, and if you've ever been to Northeast India, they make, they literally like boil cabbage. Like people eat that. Uh, you know, it, India has elephants. Well, they're a part of India that doesn't have that. India has this, India has that. It is literally, I mean, just probably the most diverse place on earth. I, I don't quote me on that. It's just unbelievably different. So the part you have, when you talk about India, you can't talk about, the people talk about India's or Indian mm-hmm. cultures. There's no one culture, it's cultures. Mm-hmm. And and um, this also is very true of the different religious systems. So like Hindu, I'm getting on a little bit of a tangent, but like Hinduism, right? There's Hinduisms. There's so many different views and perspectives. If you ask mm-hmm. a Hindu person what they believe, you ask 10 different people, they will give you 10 different answers. There's no like central mm-hmm. doctrine. There's no... So this is, this is all evolved over the millennia. And it's really, um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that we're seeing more and more representation of Indians come up and say, this is what my India looks like. And that's one of the things that, uh, I know Eliza and I are both really committed to is, is like elevating and amplifying, uh, Indian and South Asian voices to say, here, tell me what your part Mm -hmm. of India is like. Tell me what you think about this issue. And that's one of, that's one of the purposes of my podcast is, not only to talk about my own perspectives, but to give uh, stereotype-breaking South Asians a chance to say, this is what my part of India looks like. And so that's why it's the Invisible India podcast. It's like, what are the things that are might be invisible to the outsider, which you want to bring to light? So I, I could get into all these things about Bihar, uh, but I'll just share two things where I, where I live. Bihar is known as the uh, poorest state in India. And the least um, educated, and Kerala is actually the most educated state in India. So we have these two contrasts. Bihar has a lot of bad rap. Some of it is warranted, and some of it really isn't. So I think a lot of the other work that I'm kind of doing with my social media and the podcast is talking about hey, these stereotypes are actually not totally true about Bihar. I live there as an American. This is what I see. These are the true things and these are the false things and the rest speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Now, because because the the fascination, or at least for me, is so often in in the detail and in like the specific things, I wonder if there's like an object that or a or a yeah, something like almost an object that sums up what India not what well, not everything we've just said we can't sum up India Kirsten stop trying to sum up India but what your relationship or something that in your life always makes you think of you know your own personal impression of India so for, for me who has very little impression of India I've visited I think four times but if I think India something I never thought before I moved there instantly now it's like tuk-tuks and it's those trucks that are so colorfully painted and they write on it, please sound your horn. And they actually invite you in traffic to go around beeping all the time, which for me, as a, as somebody who came from, you know, like Germany, where we, we have driving lessons and everything is very much like, here are the, or- here is the order, here are the rules. This is how you do the thing. Um, it was, it was an absolute, just 
mind explosion. I can't believe that. And now to me, that is that is something I'm never, ever going to not associate with that place. Mm. Yeah, I, for me, I, 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 I don't have one thing. I think there's just so many. I mean, yeah, it was, it's, it's like asking me, like, is there something that symbolizes America? Like, I don't really, there, I don't have one thing. Like, you know, it's just so many things. But I can say with the rickshaw, oh, man, yes. It's so relatable. And th- th- when I was learning to drive in India, my my husband was just like, honk, 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 honk. Oh my God, you, you learned to, to drive honk. in India? Yeah, he's like, you He's like you are not honking enough because th- you actually get in an accident. <sighs> if you don't let someone know that you are right behind them or on their immediate right, or people will look in their rear view mirrors, you can't. It makes sense to me now. I understand why it's done. And in some places where you actually have a proper road, where there's lights, where there's like flow of traffic, you can get away with not using it. Like Delhi has instituted no honking. I mean, it still happens, but they, they've said, you know, people, you get fined for honking. Not every time, but you can get fined for honking now on certain roads. But in Bihar, where we live, you will kill someone if you do not honk. You have to honk because that lets them know you are there, you're around, you're coming around this tight little corner. And there might be someone standing right in this corner, you know, having a cigarette or talking or buying vegetables. And if they don't know you're there, they can't get out of the way. You know, Mm. so and it's like that. It's like whoever has the biggest car has the right of way. Pedestrians don't have the right (laughs) of way, which irks me. But that's just how the system works. (laughs) Yeah, but it works, right? So traffic beeping. It's it's a core cool sound that I definitely remember there now. When I think back, I'm just like beep, 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 beep. It's everywhere. Eliza, what about you? Is there something that that is as an object that you would want to show someone when talking about India? It's interesting because I think that I focus so much on Malayalam and Kerala. Like for me, mm. I feel like Kerala has kind of it's its own thing. It's its own state. It's its own people and, and language and place. And so yes. I kind of, and I, I should not, I should not ask about India, I guess. <laughs> I should really, speci- I should really specify, um, which is what I mean, but I'm not putting into words very well. So thank you for putting me up on that actually. Yeah. Yeah. So like when I think about Kerala, like, I don't know, there's just something about when I left the UAE, which is like this big desert hot place. And then you arrive and you're just surrounded by, you know, backwaters and coconut trees and you know your food comes wrapped in banana leaves and everything's just so green like when you say Kerala the first thing I think of is green because it's just yeah it's just amazing incredibly amazing and uh yeah so I think that if someone wanted to talk about Kerala I would just show them nature and and how fantastic it is and you know you it's 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 really great and Vietnam reminds me a bit of Kerala in some ways. The types of mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables are similar. Even the <laughs> even the honking on the street. I remember doing my first video in Vietnam and someone commented, are you in India? I can hear the cars. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's just me. And it's the same thing as Jessica said. Like, you have to let people know you're coming up. You have to let people know you're making a turn. And even as I ride my bicycle here, I ding my little bell like, hey, I'm turning or hey, you know, and I'm coming through the intersection. Please stop. You know, you, you have to do it. So um, some things here do remind me a lot of, of, of Kerala, especially in the south. Um you see similar things done with food. You see similar things done in culture and scenery. So it's, it's, it's really nice. So, mm-hmm. yes, and you kind of want to, it's 
it's really a beautiful illustration of, look, they have a system, their system works. Like, who are we to kind of come in and go, well, you guys shouldn't beep so much. Like, <laughs> have you heard of traffic lights? Da, da, da. It's like, no, mm-hmm. it works. They're doing their thing. Now, I've, I'm going to come with another surface uh, surface impression that I think is very, very, if you look at India for about more than four seconds, you instantly know this isn't true. Um, but on the surface, people might look at it, and I've men- spoken to many people who look at it and say, well, that's an English-speaking country. Mm. And I wondered about the... Because you can visit India as a tourist and only be an English speaker and mm-hmm. and get by perfectly fine. You can probably even live there and be a just English speaker. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what is different for you as a Hindi speaker, as a Malayalam speaker, um, in India, outside of India. Mm. Sure, I can I can take a stab at that first. I think the touristy or the kind of the 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 certain level of society is accessible to English speaking people. If you go to Delhi, if you go to Kanapolis, you go to again. I'm listing all the major metropolitans, but even you know, grade uh, t- tier two cities, mm-hmm. even tier two cities, you can get around with the basic, you know conversations. There are some parts, if you go more interior or, and this is where some of the real, you know, ancient practices are still held, right? Or some of the, you know, I don't want to say the real India, right? Because the real India is also extremely modern and incredibly forward thinking, right? It's all the real India. The, you know, the the people that are cooking on mud stoves in rural Bihar and the people who are, people who are, dancing, you know, Kuchipuri dance. These are all the real India. And the people who are, you know, have iPhone 12 and driving their Rolls Royce, like on the streets of Mumbai or whatever, that's also the real India. (laughs) So I think that you can access different layers of India when you do speak an Indian language. And I think that's the the misconception is that, you know, oh, like people don't speak English. Well, people do, but there's like, there's like different layers of society that you can access and that you can learn from. And I think that that's the incredible thing is you can learn a lot going to India just speaking English. And so many people do. So, in fact, the majority of people, and, and it's kind of odd because we have two people on the call, right, who we've, we've learned Indian languages but actually, uh, most people that go to India that live in India as a foreigner do not learn because English is so predominant. And it is, there are languages, like I would say Malayalam is a lot more difficult to learn than Hindi as far as the actual technicalities of the language, the pronunciation, some of the different you know, syntax and things like that. But the it's the social dynamics in India which actually make it difficult for foreigners, particularly if you are a foreigner that looks very different. Like if you have very European features or if you have very African features, it can be very difficult to break that like social barrier to actually get uh get to know the culture. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's one of the the tricky things. So yeah, as a Hindi speaker, you know, as far as what that looks like on a day-to-day basis, people just really let their guard down quickly. They're like, Are, madam, aap to bhi hai. 
How did you learn? So it's fluent Hindi. And then I explained, I try to cut to the chase as quick as possible. Oh, I've lived here for a really long time. I'm married to an Indian. Oh, okay. And then rather, you know, so people just realize, oh, actually she's not one of us, but she gets it <laughs> in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things I'm really passionate about is helping people to learn Indian languages and sharing my tips and tricks that I've learned a lot over the last 16 years. Yeah. Oh gosh, it sounds... I'm, okay, I'm already getting tempted, which we're not gonna. No, no, I'm not learning Hindi now. But <laughs> there's it. What you're describing is something that I've heard from so many language learners, again and again and again. And I think it's one of the deepest motivators that we have, which is that the the sense of belonging, the sense of not being an outsider, and making that making the connection deeper, and really like being with the the people that you're surrounded by, and and just belonging to for lack of a better word to the let's say tribe you know the the bigger group of people who might take care of you that is something that people describe in different words again and again and again and and, and like you're saying the, the language for you it's been a real access point Eliza I'm curious for you what about learning Malayalam outside of India how does that affect how you interact with with Kerala and with you know your target community So Malayalam is interesting because we've got a lot of layers to go through here. First of all, you know, Mm -hmm. English is one of the 22 official languages. I'm sorry, English is one of the official 22 languages of India. And um, so it's spoken, you know, universally and people learn it in order to have social mobility. Um, It's the one way that they can move across the country and get work in other places is by having a certain level of English. And as a result of that, you see this push for English medium education. You see English take the prestige language status. Uh, I use this example quite often. On a wedding invitation in Kerala, the invitation will not be written in Malayalam. It'll be written in English, even if all the guests are Malayalis. Um, So Mm -hmm. it has this prestige class. So as Jessica alluded to, you know, there are different social dynamics around the language of English. Uh, you know, the types of people who learn it, people who can access it, who uses it on a day-to-day basis. There are also Anglo-Indians who are speakers of English from birth in their families, in their homes. So you have those pockets as well. And then there's another interesting dynamic with Hindi, because uh, even though uh, Hindi is used throughout official documents and on TV and medium, you know, It's, again, only one of the 22 languages. However, it has more spread. You know, most people speak Hindi as, or many people speak Hindi as a second uh, language, Mm. regardless of their first language. Mm -hmm. And you do have Hindi medium schools throughout. Now, in India, there's uh, there's this linguistic split. Okay, so in the south, you have the Dravidian languages, which include Malayalam and neighboring Tamar and and Kannada. And Tamarnad especially has a very strong resistance to Hindi possibly being seen as overtaking Tamar to the Mm. point where they've, you know, protested against Hindi road signs, protested against Hindi medium education in schools, and, and there's kind of a pushback. So sometimes as a learner of a language, you also learn about the baggage that's associated with that language. And so... There's this, you know, you're learning Malayalam, you're learning Tamar, you know, some people see it as like, yeah, yeah, we need to 
um, learn this language and preserve it and love it. And some people see it as like a, a pushing of an agenda. And um, Jessica and I have talked about this before as well, where, you know, you can say you love Hindi and you want to learn it and you want other people to learn it. But then some people interpret that also as an agenda. Um, and so it's just mm-hmm. really fascinating, these kind of linguistic rabbit holes you get into when you start learning a language and, and learning about the differences within them and seeing the politics. And unfortunately, you know, when people, especially outsiders like us, start learning a language, certain people weaponize that. Like, oh, look at this American woman lear- learning yes. Hindi. Like she, you know, supports like this or yeah. that. Or, Hindi must be important. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I can hear Jessica <laughs> sighing. Yes. She's, she knows exactly. And same thing with like Thummer. Thummer is extremely important. And But there are people on the other side of, of the extremes, right? Where they have the Thummer nationalists, you know, and, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of politically loaded things that happen with that as well. And then you get these talks about language purity and which is the oldest language and what is the original language. And it gets really messy. So... There's two sides to it. Like, I made a Mm -hmm. reel recently on Instagram, basically just poking fun. Like, you know what? I'm so tired of arguing with people about linguistic things on the internet. I'm just going to drink water and mind my own business. Like, that was the, (laughs) that was the joke. Um, So it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. You have a lot of fun. You tap into the community. You learn something that's not so mainstream in Indian culture because most of the exports are done in Hindi. But at the same time, like <laughs> you have to wade through a lot of what my friend calls quantum linguistics and um, political agendas as well. And it, it can become a, a very mm-hmm. uh, icy path to take at times. Yeah, that's a good description. A kind of slippery. Yeah, yeah. Just people attach a lot of stuff, a lot of symbolism to a language. I've even experienced this with um, the, the one minority language I'm learning, which is Welsh. And I've met people... In, in Berlin, randomly, who were people who lived in Wales, but they're English. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told them, I was so excited and super excitedly told them, oh, I'm learning Welsh, oh, it's so beautiful. I have never experienced such defensiveness, mm-hmm. um, which which was, you know, it, it baffled me, but it, it, well, baffled and offended me. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was a real kind of reminder that like, I, it, people read all sorts of stuff into into language choices and our choices as as learners and that learning a language can be a whole symbolic act mm. even though you don't mean it to be mm-hmm. now i'll i'll save some of this for asking you about your lives as content creators both of you but before that i think let's have a quick dive into resources tutors courses what is it like to what's it been like what what's been your kind of toolkit of learning a language as yeah as a non-Indian learner well or as an Indian learner it doesn't really matter Uh, so what what works for you Jessica I'll start with you because you mentioned the language nurturer and I think you've got a long sort of Mm. a longer story of learning Hindi there sure so actually (laughs) I, I did things the very old school way where this was right when the internet and smartphones were smartphones weren't really in India yet this is 2006 And so I was at this crux where I had the communication to be able to actually be in India and like live in India and um, still kind of keep in touch with my family, but also before smartphones changed everything. And so in apps and all this stuff. So I 
had a language nurturer and I would meet with her. The program I did is still going on, but it's called OSL. It's not really a big program, um, but it, is, it was basically an immersion course. So I did, I would, I, I always recommend to people, you know, if you can get immersed, get immersed in whatever way that looks like. I had a very extreme experience where I was like, my goal was just to not really speak English for like six months as much as I could. And I, for six months, I just, I was like told my parents and my family, so I'm going to call you once a month to check in. But other than that, I'm completely like really trying to focus. Of course, I worked in an office where there were English speakers, but I really tried to avoid them and not talk in English with them. So my, I was very, very focused on learning. And part of the reason was that I realized that there was this layers, right? The first layer was my job where I was able to actually communicate and get things done in English, but then to get to know the people, get to know their families, get to really understand the culture. I, I was very dedicated. I was just very interested and I knew that it was going to actually take a cutting off of part of my brain, I suppose, to be able to fully learn. And so that's that was what I did back in the day, right? But now things are so different. There's all these apps and all these this, that. And honestly, I would say that those are second best, that I really think immersion and learning from people, that is the best way. And I know that you, Kirsten, you, this is, you know, part of what you do is like helping people to learn languages. And especially for Indian languages, there's so many nuances. There's so many cultural nuances that you have to really learn from a native speaker. So one thing that uh, always happens is people like, oh, ma'am, you know, can you teach me? Can you teach me Hindi? Or can you teach me? Can you teach me this? Can you, teach me? you should do Hindi classes. Okay. I'm not ever going to do Hindi classes, but because there's a point you have to learn from a native speaker. I really, really believe that firmly. And so part of what I'm trying to do is create resources that people can use to learn Hindi. And I, I do create resources, but it's really about pointing back to native speakers and pointing back to those native resources and encouraging encouraging that whole process. So that's a, that's a bit of my shtick. And I know Eliza feels similarly. <laughs> We've had this conversation before, but yeah, it's, it's, um, there are many, many, many apps, tricks, books, seed, whatever. And, and there, and some, I'm not going to go review all of them right now, but yeah, I'm just like immersion, 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 real people, real people, real people. That's my mantra. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have, I have never heard something that I know and apply in not instinctively, but sort of, yeah, naturally without thinking, uh, summed up so well as learn from a person. I think that's that's going to be the language learning advice that that I'm gonna I'm gonna take from this and and really share because that's so in my opinion uh, so so true as well. Like you, I like that you put it. I like how you put it that apps are their second best. Like not terrible. Like people often you know if you say anything at all like um, that, that that might imply that Duolingo isn't the best possible thing you can do. Everybody's like, why do you hate Duolingo? It's like no no, it's just not as good as the other thing you can do um and so I've, i love learn from a person i wrote that down i'm going to put lots of stars around it <laughs> now um eliza what about you resources tutors courses what did you do for malayal oh my goodness so yeah definitely learning from people mostly because 
you know, at least Hindi, you can find textbooks and, and library books and things in Hindi. Malayalam? Nope. <laughs> um, when I first started learning Malayalam four years ago, there was a well-intentioned book called Learn Malayalam Through English in 30 Days. No, mm -hmm. no, no, no. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I... Anything that says 30 days, I just throw it far away from me. <laughs> and I tried to take online lessons, but then the UAE banned all VOIP services. So after about four italki lessons, I lost the connection with my teacher because uh, wow. I couldn't use Skype anymore. And... Um, so, yeah, I started hitting up the internet and I found two PDFs. One of them was a linguistical grammatical analysis of Malayalam that was written as a PhD. And the other was a 1960s course book written for American Peace Corps volunteers. So, oh, yeah. so that's what I had to work with. And um, it was because of my own background as a language teacher that I was able to kind of work through things. But it just came back to having a lot of connections that spoke Malayalam, not just my husband, but the community. And that's why I started Ilikuti. It was just a study gram. It was literally just me writing notes and seeing what people thought about it and getting corrections. And as the page grew, I, I grew my network and I grew my exposure. And, you know, I've said this before, but your spouse or your partner is not necessarily your best teacher because, Amen. oh, my Lord. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. I, uh, I have literally cried. And I'd be like, why is it like this? And he'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> like, the first time I learned that there were two different L's in Malayalam. And he's like, yeah, because Pali and Pali are two different words. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, Pali and Pali. And I'm like, they sound the same. He goes, no, one is Pali, one is Pali. And I'm like... Oh, dear God. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it just took a lot of time because at that point, my husband had no background in teaching or linguistic awareness or anything. And anyone who speaks a language, you know, natively, they take it for granted. You know, mm -hmm. we don't we don't sit and think about our own language. And so when someone asks us things like, why do you say it like this? But then you say it like that. You know, and it's like, oh, I don't know how to answer that. And then the person gets annoyed because they're like, well, this is my language and I don't know it, you know. So, yeah, spouse is helpful to an extent. Relatives are useful to an extent, but it, it was just a lot of interacting. And for me, I look back and I'm just I always try to like people ask me, what's your routine? What do you do? Because, you know, on YouTube and stuff, you have all these wonderful content creators who are like, study with me. Here's what I do per week. I have nothing like that. I have no proper study schedule. I have no proper you know, sit down, do 15 minutes, make my Anki deck, you know, no, I don't do any of that. It's literally just been me, you know, headbutting my way through the language. I would have a conversation partner once a week uh, during the pandemic where I would just tell her about my day until I couldn't talk. And then she would just help me through the sentence and then I'd keep talking. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. But it worked for me uh, because I don't mind sounding dumb in front of people <laughs> in another language. I kind of got over that. Um, and that's, that's yeah. pretty much what I've done. And because of my background as a language teacher, I was able to kind of work through the things that I found to kind of break them down and turn them into the tutorial videos that I do sometimes on my page and people who are coming from an English background, English speaking background, find them really useful because most of the resources that exist in Malayalam are for Malayalam speakers or those who grow up with Malayalam parents. It's not necessarily for someone like me who's starting from nothing. Yeah, this, um, 
it's um, meta linguistic awareness. I've heard I've mm. heard um, listed sort of as one of the things, and I think it is very true. And this is why um, school language learning so often falls flat is because there is just none of that. Mm-hmm. There's no outside the language skill. It's literally just we're gonna this we're gonna throw some words at you. But so I've, I love what you're describing and um, social media as a resource for you as well. Mm-hmm. I've heard in Germany, like they're quite good on educating Germans on German linguistic awareness. Like, you know what the parts of speech are and where they go and what they do. And um, would you say that's reflective of the backgrounds that you? It's seen? certainly reflective of my experience. Yes, mm. yes. I came out of primary school knowing what nouns are, knowing what verbs do and stuff. And Mm-mm. then, um, but I came, I also came out of primary school, primary school first four years. Um, what you call, I don't know what you call the it. Elementary school. Yeah. Elementary, elementary, yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I, I just was just the, the kind of student who was just burning to learn English. So, um, but even so, like I, did, I wasn't burning to learn nouns, but I already knew what they were. <laughs> um and I l- I've learned Latin in school. Um, lots of our, um, we've got a weird separated school system, but the kind of more academic school system branch, uh, they they still do quite a lot of Latin. And my Latin classes started with two months of relearning German grammar before we went into the Latin. So yeah, we take our own language seriously. And it's mm-hmm. something that I found deeply shocking when I first moved to England and I learned how English speakers learn other languages <laughs> i really think there's a massive gap and <laughs> i've i've created uh courses i've created like german courses and stuff for people and i never ex- i never um skip the bit where i tell them what the actual purpose of this part of speech mm. is because I, you can't take it for granted um so i that's also the big asterisk there. Sorry, that, that's what that was the other thing I wanted to add um, to what Jessica was saying and what both of you were saying comes together, I think, so beautifully, which is learn from a person, learn from a na- native speaker, but big asterisk, choose someone who is like linguistically aware or has some kind of teaching ability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like not every native speaker is is a good tutor. Mm. But if you can find one who's a tutor who is also a native speaker, like, yeah, you know, that's that's so great. I love how the drive of, I think, again, in both of you, that, like, drive and the na- the natural, like, sense of independence is really coming through in how you describe your learning. Mm. Like, Jessica, just going hard on the immersion. Um, and you realize the saying, like, I don't have, you know, a f- I don't do my Anki cards or whatever. I do my thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me ask you about life as a content creator, because um, otherwise we'll have a four-hour interview, which I would like to have. <laughs> <laughs> if, listeners, if you would like to listen to the four-hour fluent show with these two wonderful women, we can we can make it happen. Extended okay, cut. so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what motivates both of you? Work very hard as I'm just going to sum it up as content creator. So Jessica, you're a fellow podcaster, um, and Eliza, you're mostly an Instagram. Grammar, Insta- mm-hmm. Instagram personality. I don't know what it's called. Um, I'm too old. I'm not. And <laughs> what motivates both of you to work so hard on sharing information about India and your languages, etc., with the wider world? I guess I can go first. I think for me, it's really just about um, when I was initially learning, it was really about just relationships and being able to do my job well. It was a very personal thing for me where I wanted to learn for myself, but so that I could 
be better at my role and be better at serving in my role and, and, and just in the society where I was living. To be honest, now that that is still a motivation, but now I am very motivated for my kids to learn, for my kids to learn proper Hindi and to be able to continue this, I guess, legacy of being able to speak Hindi. Um, my husband has very, very good Hindi, very interesting. I mean, he, you know, grew up in Bihar and he has, uh, Bihar has, get, gets bashed all the time for their way that they, they speak Hindi. They drop a lot of the gender markers and people you know, basically say that they speak, you know, hillbilly Hindi. However, he, he can speak the hillbilly Hindi just fine, but there's also an incredible connection to Sanskrit and people are using these, these words, which a lot, which have been dropped in, you know, the large metropolitans long ago. So there's this incredible depth and amazing, um, you know, historic connection with, uh, Bihari Hindi, which I find to be very beautiful. And so I have tried, you know, I've learned Bihari style Hindi and people on my Instagram make fun of me all the time because like, oh ma'am, do another reel and, you know, be pakka Bihari Hindi, you know, do, do you know Bhojpuri, do you know Mathali Maghai? There's several other languages in Bihar which influence Hindi. And so I've dabbled in those a little bit. And, but I think the, the thing that really motivates me is for my kids, now for my kids. And then thirdly, I also really want other people to be able to learn fluent Hindi. I think that there is so much about India, which needs to be told or needs to be understood, um, by the larger world. And I think that Hindi can unlock a lot of that as well as other Indian languages. But I'm really passionate about about that. And again, I don't want people to learn from me those things. I want people to learn from native speakers those things. So that's kind of my shtick. That's one of the things I'm really focused on in 2022. On my uh, on 2021, on my show, I had all South Asian guests on uh, giving their perspective on different things. And now in 2022, I'm going to be focusing on Indian languages and and really pushing forward and in, in creating more resources in that vein. Yeah, I like that both of that falls under the umbrella of Invisible India. It all comes together very, very nicely. So Invisible India, this is also your chance. Please give your podcast, not just a plug, but tell me more about what is the impact that you wanted to have? Sure. I really want to encourage people to dig in and to learn more about India from the, the I don't want to say the right sources because ev everywhere is a source, but really um, you know, in indigenous sources. I don't want, you know, someone to tell me what India is like. I want to, I want other people to, who are Indian to, to tell their version of what India is like. Of course, I want to help people who are in cross-cultural relationships as well, which is one of the things that I'm also doing with the podcast. But I also um, really want to focus in on language and, um, and getting and getting that part, because I think that's a unique contribution that I can make. There are, there are many, 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 many people married to Indians um, who are not from India, but I think there's not as many who have been able to fluently learn the language of their partner or other languages of India and being able to do that uh, and explain how they did it and how it can be done by others and kind of not replicate the process, but helped guide and encourage others to go in that process. So that's what the Invisible India podcast is about. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. 
Uh, and then my podcast can be found on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically everywhere podcasts are found. That's it. Wherever you're listening to The Fluent Show right now, you can probably find Invisible India. <laughs> Eliza, what about you as an Instagrammer? First of all, your Instagram is eli.kutty, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's that's a pun. Um, so Eliza is my name that my friends call me. You know, it's what I go by. And when I was living in the UAE, um, a group of people, they started calling me Ellie. And my Tamar friend told me, oh, Ellie, that means rat. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> like, that's terrible. She goes, no, if you had kuti, which means like little, it, it makes it cute. So <laughs> Ellie kuti is little rat or rat girl, however you want to interpret it. Um, yeah. So that's me, Ellie.kuti or on uh, YouTube, I also post, I cross post across different platforms. So YouTube channel is Learn Malayalam with Ellie kuti as well as on Facebook. And, you know, I stay motivated because my work helps me and it also has an impact on a lot of people. I started out just to make my own notes and to get feedback from the community and it kind of just blossomed into something. I didn't set out to say I'm going to start this page to bring my attention to Malayalam. I'm not going it wasn't it wasn't anything like it is now. I always joke I'm an accidental content creator. I didn't know how to edit videos. I didn't know how to make posts. I didn't know how to do voiceovers. I didn't know anything. I just took a notebook and a pen and I just made pretty stuff like I saw on hashtag studygram and I thought that was cool. And it grew and I think it was the messages that I was getting from people who are Malayali but grew up outside of Kerala or people like me uh, who marry into, you know, a Malayali family or, you know, there's just so many different people who it resonated with. And that's what keeps me motivated is that, oh, my work means something to someone and it's really cool. And it is a bit harder these days. I recently got a promotion. Um, I, I have a new position working as a director. I'm opening up a school here in Laokai. And it's... Congratulations. Thank you. But it's extremely demanding. <laughs> so like lately, my posts have just been like really fun, like relevant, relatable content and less educational content. And I really hope that once I get into the swing of things here, I can start making more meaty content again. Um, because... There's just so much to show, so much to to learn and, and so much to do. And I think that and this happens in a lot of languages. You know, people will say, oh, X is the most difficult language to learn. Like, oh, Hungarian is the most difficult European language. People will be like, Malayalam is the most difficult Indian language, blah, blah. And this kind of has a like I understand people say it as kind of like a point of pride or challenge, but it also like demotivates people from learning the language. And I think that if I make the content that kind of bridges it and makes it seem less intimidating and more accessible, I think that's doing a, a good bit of service, you know, for the people who are interested in learning or feel like they can't learn. They can see mm. that, you know, this madama from America is making funny videos, talking about ways to say no and malayalam and, you know, they can they can do it yeah. too. I I can only I can only agree on the old um the so-and-so is the hardest language to learn. Every single mm. time someone goes, like, I'm learning, like, I usually say I'm learning Welsh because I'm learning Welsh. And then people are like, that's a hard language to learn. And I have to watch myself so I don't go into my five-minute, uh, you know, I'm standing on a chair rant 
about how there are no hard languages and it's all in your head and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just like, if you tell yourself it's hard, sure, it's hard. If you don't tell yourself it's hard, it might not be as hard as you think. Mm. But uh, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not good dinner party conversation. I've had to learn the hard way. That's the drink yeah. your water and mind your own business moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it so is. It so is. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, come to a close as much as I don't want to but I think I think we'll we'll cut this we'll cut this episode um and maybe have you on in the future again for more questions and more stories and more language learning experiences so first of all let me thank both of you first of all for being available over this weird time zone situation that we've got going on here so we've all done we've all done very very well um pat your own shoulders and for sharing so openly and sharing so honestly your experiences and in a wider sense for your dedication to the languages that you're sharing the mission that is sort of bringing you you know to being on this podcast and sharing this now i have a closing question that i really like to ask my guests and that is um for both of you if there was one thing that you could change about the language learning world you live in so either your own personal experiences or what you see how languages are being learned what would it be and jessica i'm going to put you on the spot first sure i i i alluded to this a number of times but i would say you know just learn from native speakers. I, I I wish I could change the um, the aspect that and and Eliza and I have talked about this before. Of oh look at this great foreign person who's learned the language so well, and and look at her and you know she elevating this you know wonderful especially her and I we're all white here so there's wonderful white person that's learned our language and let's make a big deal about that and and put her on a pedestal. I think you know. They're pointing that back to people that, okay, that's great. Thanks for acknowledging my hard work, but there are so many Indians that actually helped me to learn. And without Mm -hmm. them, I could not have done any of this. And so pointing it back to the the, the, the native speakers who helped me to learn, the people that invested into me, and Mm -hmm. the, 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 the friendliness and just the willingness to teach a language, that's not something that happens around the world everywhere. And so I think that's the one thing I would like to change is, and, and that's one thing I'm trying to accomplish with my page very, you know, imperfectly or with my, my Instagram, with my podcast is, Hey, let's focus. Let's really figure out ways that we can turn the attention from the white lady speaking Hindi to the actual processes and actual cool things about the culture that we can, that we can learn, that we can, that we can share, that we can, um, that we can really learn from and, and grow in. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I think that's part of what I'm really would, would love to see change. And I think the tide is starting to turn that way. Um, yeah. but it, it is easy just to make a little flashy page and put all the attention on yourself that's easy. And so many people do that. And it drives me insane. But <laughs> Eliza and I are on the same page with this one. But that, that's my, that's my, that's my complaint. <laughs> Would you say that this is a, a stronger symptom or a strong tendency to happen, particularly when you're learning in a former colonial country? A oh, yeah. Colony? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
That's that's the one thing on, on my page as well. Like, yes, I do a lot of educational content, but most of the time when people in the comments are like, where can I learn? I have my handful of Malayalam teachers that I tag. You know, I always tag, you know, these really great creators that are, you know, not really well known across social media, but they're the ones who can actually lend their time and service to properly learning. And like Jessica says, you know, you do get that attention and you do get that platform. So it's really good that you can use it to funnel it towards the people who really need it. Um, and we give them that space. You know, we we um, kind of allocate it to that so that more of the community gets what, what they should have, you know, which is the time mm -hmm. and attention. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I agree with Jessica in that, that... Um, I mean, it's great that we get support for what we do, but, you know, behind every foreigner speaking an Indian language is a community of Indians that helped her get mm -hmm. there. Yes. Yes. Thank, that's beautifully said and well well shared, absolutely. So we've already shared where both of you can be found, but just to sum up, uh, first of all, you will be able to find a profile for Jess and a profile for Eliza, and that's going to be fluent.show slash Two three three, where they're both listed as special guests. This is episode two three three, and that's also where I'm going to put links from the show notes and anything interesting that I can find. And you can find Eliza primarily on Instagram at eli.kuti. That's e l i dot k u t t y. And you can find Jessica wherever you get podcasts under the Invisible India podcast. Now the sign off on the Fluent Show is I say it's goodbye from me, goodbye. And I get my guests to say goodbye in any language of your choosing. So you don't have to choose the languages we've just spent an hour talking about. You could do it in French if you want to. But uh, you please choose a language and um, say goodbye with me together. So listeners, thank you so much for listening to The Fluent Show. As I said, you can go to fluent.show slash 233 to find all the information, show notes and profiles that are related to this episode. And with that, thank you so much to my wonderful guests. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Jessica Kuma. Mm, Namaste. And it is goodbye from Eliza Keaton. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kirsten. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by subscribing for new episodes and leaving a rating and review in your podcast app. You can visit us at fluentlanguage.co.uk anytime. Don't forget that you can send us your questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find the show on Twitter and say hello over there. It's at The Fluent Show and on Instagram it's hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always happy to hear from you and we read every message and review. See you next episode.